Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Young Musician's Guide. I'm your host, Aaron Campbell, and today we have my guest, Dr. Courtney Jones. Uh, Dr. Jones is the trumpet professor as well as uh, does some jazz instruction at Florida Atlantic University. He's also the director of the Orchid City Brass Band. And he and I get to talk a little bit about him coming up and growing up and how his parents were musicians and how he was always very interested in the music that was in his household and all the different colors and all the different things that um, musicians were able to create through their platforms. Uh, we talk about that. He gives some of his advice for younger musicians and things along those lines. Um, so really cool conversation, really chill. Um, I really enjoy uh, Dr. Jones's energy uh, throughout the entire things, and I think you will too. So um, we'll get into that. Uh, just so you know, I think I'm going to structure this, uh, the release schedule in this way. Um, so with the podcast, what I'm going to do is on the, so the patrons get it the Tuesday, the week before it comes out. And then the, what I'm going to do is on Monday, we'll set a premiere Monday night, and then the podcast will come out live everywhere else on Tuesday. If you have not already seen, the podcast is available now on Spotify and the Google Play Store. So we do have that. Um, so it's available just about anywhere that you would want to get your podcast. Um, I do batch record these. So if you do have any suggestions, just keep in mind, I do not get to uh, put those in into the podcast uh, until way later. But if you do have suggestions, please let me know. And if you want to help out the show, make sure that you not only you know like it or review it or whatever you know those sorts of things are, but also make sure you share it and let other people know that it exists. Uh, it's a really big help. But anyway, let's go ahead and get into our conversation with Dr. Courtney Jones. So the first thing I wanted to talk to you about is who is the best Batman and why is it Kevin Conroy? Okay, so you're incorrect, and the best Batman is Michael Keaton. Go on. Uh, the reason why Michael Keaton is the best Batman is because, you know, that was the first introduction that I had of Batman. That's when my synesthesia kind of happened and all that other stuff during the opening thing, the minor six, all that stuff. And he wasn't trying to, you know, be something that he wasn't, right? He knew what he was. He knew he had money. Right. And even when Vicki Vale came in and she was going through his his uh, collection of, of items that he collected of the world, you know, he wanted to play that bad boy, you know, image. But he was the vigilante. He was the dark knight at night who kind of came in and had to be the person that needed to save the world. Now, again, you know, I want to go a step further and talk about the Joker. Now, out of all the Jokers, you know, it was jack nicholson and heath ledger everyone else after that but anyone else who tried to play a joker was just they they sucked man they sucked michael keaton was a cornerstone after adam west and that forever to this day will be the best batman and who do they ask to do flashpoint michael keaton now don't get me wrong christian bale he did really i mean i thought he was going to do a really really good job but he started getting messy at the last um adaptation of it so and Val Kilmore and George Clooney. Well, Val, Val Kilmore, it was cool, but he really wasn't Batman material. And George Clooney was just a joke. So Michael Keaton, and there you go. No, I did enjoy I, Ben as Bruce Wayne more than I enjoyed him as Batman. Like I, I was, I was looking forward to seeing what he was going to do with the role, but, uh, mm -hmm. but yeah, I guess for me, Joker will always be Mark Hamill. 
So I guess yeah. I have a Batman the Animated Series bias. That's where I'm at. I'm learning. I got you. And so the reason I bring um, up, go on. Well, I, no, and I, and if you notice, I didn't even put Ben Affleck into the conversation <laughs> because he shouldn't have been Batman from the jump off. I mean, did we not see Daredevil? Continue. <laughs> oh man, D- Daredevil, that's a product of its time, man. Well, and the whole reason I bring up Batman is, is like, you know, I, I see it, you know, I, I see Batman stuff like, whenever you post things like you have it in your background you have it you know in your house you talk about it i think you have like shirts or socks and stuff you know the things and like what i find really interesting is when i go through a lot of like your posts and what you're doing and i've been to your house i've been to your office like i see what you've got going on you are very unapologetically you uh which is really interesting and it seems like you're not afraid to let your personality show in a profession where I don't know. I feel like we can sometimes feel pressured to be a certain way or act a certain way. Sure. Well, I mean, you know, the caveat, obviously, is that, you know, sometimes you can go too far down the proverbial rabbit hole and bring those ideas into your profession. But you got to look at it. I look, I look at it like this. My introduction to what I wanted to do started with that theme song as written by Danny Elfman, right? Um, and... I wanted to play trumpet because I had to figure out what that fanfare thing after that whole introduction kind of came through. What was that sound? What instrument was that? You know, and how how can I tap in more into that? And then I, then I realized that why my synesthesia popped the way that it did. You know, I I hear dissonance as consonants, right? I'm also I hear consonants consonants, but it triggers more when you hear a diminished seventh chord you know what i mean and it triggers more when you hear these interact relationships that are in the minor modalities and so maybe dorian um and you know and these cluster and color chords and so why not especially if you know i mean obviously you 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 have to tailor it for a situation right i'm not going to come to school in a you know a batman costume other than you know um halloween right um, in a perfect world, you know, I would be wearing that every day, all day, right? But I'm not going to do that again, because you know how far one needs to go. But you have to be able to understand the things that that inspire you, right? And and kind of live a little, and like you said, be unapologetically, uh, apologetically, you know, confirm and affirmed in your conviction because if not then what do you how can you relate to certain people right i've met so many of my friends you included um you know and other people that i had no idea even enjoyed superheroes like obviously i have tattoos of batman and rolled up my sleeve at this one um this one event that i was at i'm not going to say who it is but let's just say that we all know who this person is we've seen them on um you know variant movies and television sets and they're funny and you know um they did a very infamous a very famous skit you know um with a cowbell let's just put it that way and so we're talking and then next thing you know oh man batman oh really man that's one of the coolest and next thing you know we have a 10 15 minute conversation on batman right or you fast forward Years later, uh, you have no idea what you're doing, uh, what you're going to do, where you're going to go, where you're going to meet, and then you end up meeting the person's character, character who inspired you because you performed a service at um, for them 
as a musician in your field. Unfortunately, it was under not so good circumstances, but uh, you get to meet that individual. And I'm talking about Michael Keaton. You know, I actually met Michael Keaton at his, you know, at his, at his wife's wake, you know, ex-wife's wake, you know. Um, and I told him, you know, I was inspired by what he did. I met his son. And, um, and it's like, wow, you know, I mean, I was old enough. I could have freaked out and said, oh, my gosh, this is Michael Keaton, blah, blah. But no, it's like, you know, I, I was there to provide a service for his loved ones. And we had that interaction and um, it was great. So, yeah, man, you got to be able to do that. Shoot, don't apologize for that. <laughs> so, and we, you, I mean, we kind of touched there. So I, I wanted to get into it a little bit. So you talked about how the Danny Elfman Batman, you know, kind of got you interested in trumpet. Um, so can you go through just kind of a, a hit list of, of how, what got you here? So you're, you're at Boca teaching jazz and trumpet at FAU. Uh, but you've gone, I mean, you, you, you were raised in Georgia, correct? Uh, that's half true. So I was born and raised in Rochester, New York, and then we moved out to Georgia. Gotcha. And then you've, you spent some time in California. Now you're here in Florida. So can you give me a little bit of a hit list of how all that stuff happened? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you know, you're born into the world. You have no say of where you're going to live, what you're going to do. And you're just happy to be alive, you know. And sometimes the thing that can occupy your time could be a plethora of toys and the world could be burning. And you can be like, oh, well, at least as long as I have my toys, we're good to go. Um, so, you know, we lived in New York, come from a strong military family. And I taught myself how to play piano. Um, I didn't know at the time that uh, I had synesthesia. I didn't know that's what it was called. But, um, you know, my brother and sister played, but they didn't really go any further than, you know, a couple of years into high school, where when I, by the time I was born, you know, you see the pictures on the books and you say, well, this finger goes here and this finger goes here and you put that together and it's like, oh, okay. And then I began to pick up uh, music that I heard off the television. My, I think my first thing I put on the piano was a Sesame Street song. Which is a what? The major chord, right? And um, and so I would start to transcribe things, you know, that I would hear, and then I still didn't play anything. I played all the way up um, until we moved to Georgia, and then I still played, but I didn't take lessons or anything like that. And then all of a sudden, you know, when I got to sixth grade, I played the trumpet. Um, and then I switched trombone actually because my teacher. His name is Gavin Anderson. He played trombone and he warmed up on this, uh, the tune, um, 25 or 64, um, Chicago. And I went home and I told my mom, I was like, look, um, and I couldn't do it on the trumpet. And, um, so I told my parents, I was like, Hey, so my teacher needs me to play trombone, blah, blah. Yeah, no, we just started, you know, he needs me to play. We need to fill out the, the section. That obviously was a fib. Um, I just wanted to play trombone to sound like my teacher. And then uh, I played trombone for uh, a year, but then he subbed out and uh, a friend of his came in and uh, was a, a friend of his who was um, teaching us, you know, his substitute was playing trumpet and he was warming up at the time. What I, at the time was the chromatic scale, you know, but I heard it as slide of Lumbi. And I was like, man, I can figure this out on trombone. So. I had told my parents, I was like, hey, you know, um, I need to switch back to trumpet. You know, we, we need more trumpet players and blah, blah. And my, my dad was like, all right, this is the last time we're switching. I was like, okay. But 
just imagine if that teacher would have said, hey, do you know about Charlie Vernon? Do you know about Christian Lindbergh? Do you know about Joel Lesse? Do you know about JJ Johnson? Do you know about, you know, Slide Hampton? Like if they would have said that, I would probably be playing trombone to this day, you know, um, because those players played a variant of that. Um, but yeah, so I switched back over and, um, you know, obviously I was there, did all state, all orchestra. I was going back and forth in classical and jazz. And then in high school, I got introduced to Maynard Ferguson, which was not cool for my parents because I was trying to take everything up in the stratosphere. Went Marsalis, um, you know, mixture of both classical and jazz. And for me, um, music, it came relatively easy, uh, you know, as far as practicing. I didn't really need to practice. I could just hear it once and just play it. And, um, and I was able to do both styles of music, classical and jazz. Um, and so... I kept doing that and then, you know, went to college and Columbus State University did my do major in performance and education and left there, did NTC, uh, the final semifinalist for two years, then went to Shenandoah Conservatory where I stayed with Paul Rowe, um, former principal of the United States Marine Band, the President's Own. Um, and then from there, went to UCLA, where I studied with Jens Lindemann. But the, the crazy thing about Jens is that I was studying with Jens uh, during my undergrad. I had met him during my undergrad when he came into the solo with us at Columbus State University. And, um, and it was just like his, his approach to the instrument going back and forth, playing in the upper tessitura, the upper tessitura of the horn, um, or the upper tessitura of the horn. Um, and, uh, then I went to Shenandoah Conservatory. He was the artist in residence there for two years. So I had my main teacher who was, like I said, Carl Rowe. Um, I also had Scott Nelson who played the Maryland Symphony with Chris Gecker. So it was Steve Hendrickson of the National Symphony Orchestra at Carl. And then I also had Yens. And then ultimately, once I finished my two-year degree, I had the opportunity to go to UCLA to study with Yens, um, for my doctorate. And so that was the that was the transition of where I started and where I ended up um, while going to um, while playing the learning the instrument. And have you always dabbled? Because right now you're teaching trumpet at FAU, but you're also like the coordinator of jazz and chamber and all that sort of a thing as well. Mm -hmm. And so have you always dabbled in in both the genres of of classical and jazz? Well, yeah. I mean, music is music, right? Um, I guess my approach was, uh, now it is, but at the time, this is what I didn't know when we were talking about musicology and theory and all that. You know, it doesn't matter the style, right? I mean, the genre, it's the style. You either feel the beat on one and three or two and four. And I think um, that helped me prepare myself to, sorry, I was looking at my dog, making sure she's okay. She sometimes gets into these little shells out here and uh, likes to chew on them. But um, you have to prepare yourself from all types of styles of music, right? And it's like a language. You don't necessarily, if you're going to a different country, you don't necessarily need to be fluent in that language, but it would behoove you to understand a little bit of the, the greetings and a little phrases, you know, of, of that country that you may be visiting so that you can understand the vernacular. And then if, if it, if it comes easy to you, fine, go forth and 
do it all you got to do in that in that style. And so for me, that's the way that I saw music growing up. In our house, we had a mixture of that. We had classical, we had jazz, we had funk, we had rock. You know, we had a mixture of all that soul. Um, and and I wanted to know the different colors. I wanted to see and feel those different colors and styles of music. And so here at FAU, obviously being the professor of trumpet, you know, and the artistic director of, of jazz and you know and chamber ensembles, you know. As a 21st century musician, especially when I was living in Los Angeles, which prepared me up to that, doing film and television recording, you have to be able to speak versatile, right? You have to be versatile in your approach and diverse in your understanding of what's happening musically, right? Because the trumpet is, it can go across many different genres, you know? And um, I was very fortunate when I first moved out there uh, to LA to, to meet Ewan Racy, who was one of the world's phenomenal trumpet players who did many different styles of music he was that la studio musician that were that did the you know uh, that played trumpet on the you know like the cartoons like Hanna Barbera and looney tunes you know and you heard those if you remember how difficult those sections were you know and at the same time he did those infamous themes from like from chinatown you know the love theme do, 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 do. You know, and all that different things. And it's like he played across some different genres. It was set a precedent for a lot of the LA studio trip musicians and not just those musicians, but maybe other musicians, including myself, that we had no idea that we were gonna meet that individual that played on that track, right? Um, years later. And you have to be versatile in your ability. And I learned that through each of my mentors and my teachers. And and yes, you know, um, it's 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 important to to find your voice, but you know you don't want to spread yourself too thin. But as a trumpet player, we have to be able to go across multiple genres, and you know preparation, crossing paths or opportunity allowed me to meet and study with teachers that did just that. You know, from Jens to Dr. Williams to Carl to you know. Um, whomever that I that I that I took privately with and then who I met on on the side, you know, to take lessons with, they were able to go back and forth. And so now again, it was up to them whether or not, you know, if we want to go further than what it was, but being able to sit down and understanding the style is imperative. You know, and so I equate that to where do you feel the beat? One and three or two and four. Because music is still music. You still have to play the notes that's on the page, but understanding the style, in other words, the vernacular to execute said style is imperative. So to answer it simply, yes, I, I guess I was always a part of that, uh, that balance. I love to be on both, both sides. And then contemporary classical, which is my area of expertise, which I got into, which incorporates all of that. And then things outside the proverbial box, right? With electronics or extended technique, which my research um, was based on through uh, a piece as written uh, by um, Frank D. Kelly called The First Voice. So yeah, man, I mean, there's so much that the instrument can do and it would behoove you to not cut yourself off to a plethora, for, uh, a plethora of, of assets that you can use uh, and tools that you can use in your arsenal. Have you met um, uh, Danielle at UF? She's a tube youth person there. No. She's going to be a guest on this podcast later. Uh, you should meet her. She also did her research in electronic music, which she did her doctorate. 
Okay, not Did electronic I, music, extended technique. Okay, sorry. I I heard you mention the electronic music on top of the on the extended techniques. So I got confused. Um, no, it's okay. Awesome, man. Well, and so I also you so you also worked with uh, a bunch of like like outreach groups, uh, the, the Harmony mm -hmm. Project and Trumpets for Kids. Uh, and how'd you get involved in those sorts of things? Well, you know, when I was living in Los Angeles, you know. You, you have to be able to, to network as a musician today, right? I, 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 all, of, all the things that I'm able to do, I met people along the way. Again, a lot of people call it luck. I don't believe in luck. I believe in preparation, crossing paths with opportunity. I said that earlier, and I'll probably say it again later on. But you have no idea who you're going to meet, right? And you have no idea that, especially in LA where you might be playing in a section and someone hears you play and they say, Hey man, would you be willing to come in and sit in on this thing? Oh, Hey man, would you, what are you doing next week? Would you mind coming in? I heard, would you sound like blah, 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 blah. Right. And so networking, so networking allowed me to be a part of those things because, um, a passion project of mine is outreach. A lot of people let's say, all I could do the underserved, I mean, the, the at-risk students and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, well, I hate that, that terminology. And I don't like to use the word hate, um, but it viscerally angers me when I hear that terminology, like at-risk students. Well, we're all at risk. Anytime we get up and walk outside our door, we're at risk of something. You know, where I live in my, my, my place, I have two flights of stairs where I'm at risk of falling down and breaking my ankle. And side note, so anytime, and I tell my students this, anytime I fall down, if I ever fall down a flight of stairs or something and you see it, before you call the police and help me, put me in the Peter Griffin position and then call 911. If you've not seen Family Guy, just YouTube <laughs> or Google Family Guy, Peter Griffin falling down the stairs. I think that is hilarious. Anyway, sorry, side note. But, um, but I love working with, with, with underserved youth. Um, and, and the reason why is because I grew up doing that. I worked at a camp called Camp Joy. It was a Christian camp that dealt with underserved population that allowed them to leave whatever situation um, that they were living in. And, and, and it wasn't just for underserved population. It was a mixture of students, uh, of individuals across all social backgrounds. But a huge component of it served the underserved. And, you know, you would see that some of their situations wasn't necessarily uh, copacetic, right? Um, but, you know, and then you also saw that even though their living situation might not be copacetic, but copacetic, but their, their, their parental unit was a solid foundation. They just were dealt a bad hand, right? Um, and we would bring them up for a week just to experience different, you know, camp and music. And I was a, a counselor and then the boys had counselor and then I was a program director, music uh, director. And I saw how music could change lives. It's so fact that one of the reasons why I got into music as a profession, because I wanted to be, well, my minor is in business marketing and management. And I did that. And then I came back to music. That's a whole other conversation later time. But, um, um, and I saw the importance of how music could uh, affect others right? Um, you know, it's the same process of what happens when we listen to music, like how it makes us feel a certain way after having a long day, right? And you come home or whatever your sanctuary is, and you turn on you whatever piece of music and you're like, ah, claro que sí, tranquilo, okay, yeah. Or you're getting ready to 
um, uh, go out and work out for that day and you put on your playlist, you know, and you're, you're juiced and energized to work out. I know for me, anytime I go across, um, anytime I do a long trip, I have a playlist that will be the duration of that trip, right? Just to keep me going. And so I saw the importance of how music could help that. And I wanted to tap into that even more. So when I was in LA, I came across, um, I was a part of the, I was a Gluck uh, outreach fellow. And um, this is something that we were doing um, that, you know, my colleague, Kyle Prescott and Delaine Chapman, Dr. Prescott and Dr. Chapman and myself, uh, we talked about getting uh, a grant started and they got this wonderful grant started at FAU, which is amazing. Um, and I'm also doing something very similar to this with the jazz orchestra and the Gluck outreach was uh, a fellowship program that uh, a family, the Gluck family gave a significant amount of money to, to music students at UCLA to go out into the communities and to provide service, right? We have to be subservient to the music as musicians. And one, and two, we have to act as a conduit through a divine entity to provide healing into the world. If we sign up for this, and this is just my opinion, we signed a clause when we first picked up our instrument in fifth or sixth grade that said, you know, it, it was in very, very fine print. You only can see it as you mature into uh, the healer that you are. That says, you know, I think it was paragraph 17, page 72, uh, paragraph 17 dash B 3.7 that says, if you pick up this instrument, you have to become an agent of healing, an agent of inspiration, and to become someone who can help influence and inspire a community to help rectify a situation, whatever that situation is, whether it's socially, economically, you know, you know, if you become this, this poet or whatever, you know, your words or your song inspires someone to write that $2 million check or inspire someone that your song that 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 zenith of that climax of that cadence before it finishes to the tonic allows someone to feel healing during a time of their life where it's not necessarily good right um so that's what that's the clause that you sign and so i was very fortunate to be a part of this outreach program that went out into the communities and plus there were two components of it there was a performing aspect and there was a teaching aspect and that were an educational aspect and um, I was a part of both. And so once I started getting into that, I was able to network with other musicians, you know, and then I got into Harmony Project that you said, you know, and um, there was Yola that was out there. And by the time I tried to get into that, I was getting ready to move Los Angeles. Um, but then there was Trumpets for Kids, you know, in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. And, um, and so there were these many different aspects that of outreach that help provide a service help provide through the arts uh, a service to young people who needed to vent their frustrations through the musical arts and so i was very fortunate to be a part of these organizations that allowed for that and then one thing led to working with high schools and then other organizations and to you know, being Yamaha artists and the now Bach Conselmer artists, you know, that dealt with working with 
underserved populations through their schools. And I don't like to say at risk, but underserved because music is inclusive and it's not exclusive and it should, and the access to education should be open to all, not just someone in a certain school district that has all the money, you know, but anybody who is able, who wants a music program should have access to that type of instruction. And so that is a project that is near and dear to my heart. And one of the reasons why we do what we do as musicians and creative beings is to help give back to those who helped allowed us to be where we are today. And to kind of spin off of that, I mean, you've done a lot of, you've done a lot of stuff through your art and through your instrument. And it's, you know, you've had a lot of these opportunities and now like a lot of times people will see like, you know, they read the top of a bio or whatever. And they'll see like right now, like you are a trumpet professor at FAU, right? And they'll just kind of go, okay, that's what he does. But you're now like currently on top of that, you're currently actively doing other things. I think last time we spoke in person, we were talking about how you were doing like a solo tour and you were going in and out of that. You're doing all the various gigs. Like you're not just teaching trumpet at a university and you, it's not like you are only picking up your horn in lessons or anything like that. Like you still are performing yourself, correct? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, even before I even got um, this position here at Florida Atlantic University, that was my job because my mentors were that, you know, they were either those principal players or those um, those performers in orchestras and ensembles that, in addition to that, they were able to do their solo career. And then when I was living in Los Angeles, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to become a, well, originally I wanted to become an orchestral player, a second trumpet player in an orchestra. I didn't want to be played principal, and half the time I was playing principal. And I sure didn't want to be third, um, mainly because I enjoy playing different styles. And if you're principal, you're a principal player. That is your full-time gig. And third, sometimes play principal. But if you're second, your job is to blend the two voices and allow yourself to tune and mature your ear. And at the same time, you can do many other, diff many other things. And so um, my whole process while doing the outreach and going out and doing these, these performance tours you know, again, I was networking and I was building my craft as a solo artist, you know, um, so that when I did teach from a, um, a Nina, so when I did teach from, um, uh, from university or this type of situation, one of the things that I wanted to make sure that I was still doing was staying sharp in my craft. You know, I didn't want to be just in a room and teach students say, okay, this is what I want you to do. Play this note, play this like, no, I'm, I teach help teach students uh, in the 21st century. Like we have to continue to expand upon our craft, right? We have to be able to find opportunity when there isn't any opportunity because it's not like where it was, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago where you could graduate high school and be an orchestra or win this audition in the band, right? I mean, there are many of us. So my question to my students is, what's gonna set you aside from everybody else? Right. Um, and I, wanna, I don't want to coin the term, you know, one trick pony, but, you know, but what's going to set you aside to make you marketable as a musician in the 21st century? So if this is what you want to do, you know, um, you can do it. One, one of the things that uh, I was I, I love hearing um, and it used to make me angry was when when I would tell people after I left, you know, uh, my major, you know, my you know, business marketing management. And I went back to music and they said, well, what are you going to do with that degree? You know, what are you going to do? 
with a music degree, you know, uh, I understand you're getting your, 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 your undergrad. Okay, sure, you can teach high school. What are you gonna, why are you getting your master's in, in trauma performance or the one that was in, I really loved, why are you getting a doctorate in trauma performance? What are you gonna do with that? And I would get that from um, parents, you know, and teach through students, you know, who are in high school. And so one of the things that I said to one parent, um, I said, well, let me tell you what I'm doing with this the degree. Now, mind you, they're paying me to teach their child, right? So I'm bringing in supplemental support. So I think this was my second year on Glee. And, um, and I was also doing some other uh, stuff in LA, you know, as a studio musician while finishing my doctorate. And I said, sir, do you ever um, watch the show Glee? And they're like, what? I said, ask your child if they watch the show Glee. Like you know on the show, oh yeah, I'm a, yeah, I love that show. It's about these guys, you know, this this group of people, blah blah blah. Like yeah, okay. So um, I was on that show for two and a half seasons, and um, your son watches that show. So technically, every time he watches that, I get paid. Um, what about video games? You know, um, like. Do you play video games? Oh, yeah, yeah. People are in the games League of Legends. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, so the game that you bought, that pays for the light, to keep lights on for people who are on that school. So that's what you can do if you so choose to with that degree. So, yeah, you know, and they're like, oh, oh, wow, I never really thought about that. It's like, right, because there has been a saying, well, what are you going to do with that? Or how can you make a living with that? Well, nothing's ever guaranteed, right? There's no guarantee that you're going to make this or do that or X, Y, and Z. The question is, how deep down the, down the proverbial rabbit hole are you willing to go for your craft? Because if you're always worried about money, 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 that's going to spend your entire life about, right? Versus what are you going to do to help change a society via the gifts that were given to you by a higher source? And I wanted to do business marketing and management. And I was quite good at that, but I was not happy. I was not fulfilled. And so I went back to music. And because of that, and I, and I thank the divine for this, you know, I was able to build a career on that. You know, again, preparation, crossing paths with opportunity, you know, making sure that I was in that practice room five to seven hours, you know, getting laughed at. I remember I was learning, um, uh, the Fosh Trumpet Concerto. I remember this and my undergrad. And I remember hearing people outside of the practice room laughing, you know, and, um, you know, I was just now learning the piccolo, right? I started with the Corellis and the Gabrielis and I wanted to learn this and it was not good at all. And I remember hearing them laughing and I felt some sort of way about that. You know, I was like, oh man, man, you know, I would go out of the room and they would snicker and laugh. And those people now are not playing their instruments. The Fosh has paid for my, well, the Fosh paid for my first car because of the competitions that I won playing that, um, you know, and, and it's just like, you stay steadfast to the, to your goal. Don't worry about the naysayers. People are going to always talk about you, you know, but you stay steadfast in your goal and you see it to the end. And those same people um, are like, oh, wow. Hey, how you doing? And blah, blah, blah. Like, I still remember you laughing at me, you know? I still remember how nasty you were to other musicians, you know, and look at you, you're not even doing anything like this. And you're talking about how awesome this is or, 
all this other stuff and how much you hate your your life and your job. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna just go over here now because that's an energy that I don't want around me because I was around those people that helped lifted me up. And so I say all that to say is that for me, even though I teach collegially, you know, full time, I'm still sharpening my craft so that I can teach my students to prepare themselves for the 20th century, depending on what they want to do, whether it's playing in an orchestra, playing in a big band, having a recital or doing contemporary things, utilizing, and this is an electronic component um, of what I do, you know, especially in contemporary classical, you know, utilizing both technology, no ma'am, uh, utilizing both technology and traditional concepts to produce a show, right? And so that's all the components that we need to learn, especially now. And I mean, especially what we're dealing with right now, you know, doing this staycation, right? Um, and for me, this is, this is what I normally do when I'm not on tour during the summer. Now, obviously not for four and a half months straight, but like a week and a half to two weeks in between my tours during the summer where I can relax and build my craft and, you know, um, do uh, creative projects, whether I'm playing with uh, other musicians, collab collaborating virtually or playing like one of my projects I'm doing, well, not, I've been doing for, uh, for a while now, but now during this vacation is recording all of the Mancini trumpet quartets, right? And that's over 215 parts, even though they're 50, they're over 215 parts, you know, of that thing. And I'm playing all that for myself. So, you know, it's, it's being able to think outside of the box while preparing your, pre, uh, preparing your craft to get back into uh, a normal road when we, when we finish this vacation. So you got to be able to do a mixture of things, man. You got, it's, you got to, right? But know where your limitations are and then put your, you know, balance everything out, you know? So, yeah. I know that's so long. that was long. Hey man, that's why, I mean, the more you talk, the less I have to. <laughs> I don't know if that's always a good thing. Uh, so the, you know, just, of course we could go on forever about this, but to, to kind of wrap things up a little bit, if you could, something I always ask people is if you could go back and talk to like 16, 19, 21 year old, you just kind of getting into everything and like, you know, grab that person by the shoulders and shake them or give them some sort of advice. You know, people who are looking to get into the things that you are doing now, uh, what kind of advice do you have for them? I would probably say don't, if I could go back in time, I would tell myself to don't sweat the small things. Stay, stay, uh, stay strong and stay fast on the path. Because, um, you know, obviously going through this whole process, you got to have, you, we all feel the voice of doubt, right? And we try not to turn around when we hear the voice of doubt. We stay forward. And, um, and we, are, we are uncertain of what's going to happen the next day. But because of that uncertainty, you know, uh, it kind of fuels us to stay on the path. It's like, I don't know. Like, I mean, I drove across the country with less than like $500 in my bank account, you know, and I'm, and I'm like, what am I going to do? right? When I moved to LA, literally, you know, and I didn't know anybody, I didn't have any family out there, but I knew that I, I, I needed to be there. I knew that, you know, via my, my mentors, my parents, 
they instilled in within me a a a trajectory, a gift, a a, a stock of understanding. Uh, this is your idea. Turn it into reality. Speak that into existence. You know, and that's one thing that I teach my students. You know, because obviously I teach from a transcendentalistic point of view. But I would just tell myself, listen, don't sweat the small stuff. See uh, what you need to see. Do what you need to do. Um, and stay on your track, but don't sweat the small stuff, you know, um, because the good things as well as the bad allowed me to be here and talk to you and have this wonderful delicatessen cup of coffee. Man, it's delicious, you know, um, but I can remember like worrying about what am I going to do? And it's not like, did I pick the right major or anything like that? It's like, am I good enough? you know, or um, how did I get here? You know, why me? You know, why was I able to do this and not anybody else? And it's like, no, because I worked my butt off, right? I spent, I took my butt to the woodshed and spent hours in that practice room making sure that I knew what I needed to do in order to, to make it happen. So I would just tell myself, don't sweat the small stuff and stay you know, uh, surround yourself. And I always did, but I always surrounded myself with a like-minded community. You know, I made sure that um, I had people who thought the way that I did in our field, you know, who were good people. And what I mean by good people, I mean, you know, who, who wanted to think big dreams, you know, who didn't, who didn't think, okay, well, I'm just gonna do, learn this much. No, I'm gonna learn as much as I can without oversaturating myself, right? And I wanted to su surround myself with people who encouraged me when I felt that my vessel was depleted, they would come in and say, all right, you know what, put the horn down. We're gonna go out and go bowling. We're gonna go out and you know have a Dr. Pepper. We're gonna go out and just chill out for a second, you know, and then just to keep it tranquilo and then come back and get back into that practice room. like." That's why, you know, it's important to, to be around a like-minded community and people who get and understand you where you are, right? And don't worry about the naysayers. So don't sweat the small stuff and don't worry about the naysayers. That's what I would tell myself if I go back in time. Awesome. So, hey, before we end, where can, where can we find you? Um, website, social media, what do you got? All right. So, obviously, I have an active website um, at www.cjonestrumpet.com and and um or you can reach me through uh my i mean i'm on instagram that's where i post most of my creative stuff i don't really do a lot of social media outside of my um my website you know but you can always reach me through there which i have a direct relay uh direct line uh of communication through my website or through um my fau web address so yeah that's where you guys can reach me Awesome. And of course, all of the links for all that stuff will be in the descriptions or wherever you're reading this, you'll be able to find all that stuff. Hey, do you have uh, anything else you'd like to say to people interested in music as a career before we sign off? Yeah, man. So I guess just to put it, you know, simply trust the process, right? Um, surround yourself with a like-minded community and, and, you know, understand the business side of what we do as musicians, right? And I, I'm very thankful that I have my 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 work and business marketing and management because that helped 
project me on my trajectory of understanding how to write a writer and read a writer and negotiate my own contract and figuring those things out so that um, it can provide supplemental support for me and not being taken advantage of, right? Um, and don't be afraid to, to speak a different language, right? If you just speak one language, then you're missing out on many other things that that could be that you could use as an arsenal within your tool set. So, um, you know, so just just be open to you know whatever. Experience everything and nothing, right? Because you have nothing to lose but a lot to gain. So that's what I would suggest, and uh, have fun while doing it. You know, you don't do it because somebody tells you you have to do it, but do it for you and understand that if you do continue on this road that you are an agent of healing you are a direct conduit from a divine source or an entity that we can't even fathom that can help heal the world as a musician and then on top of that as a creative being whether it's music art the culinary arts you know art an architect literary arts it doesn't matter we are a painter a dancer you know sculptor Anybody that is a creative being, we have a due diligence to one, be subservient to our craft, and two, to act as a, an agent of healing to help inspire uh, the world. So that's what I would suggest. And um, you guys can reach out to me. Any, and you know, obviously, you know how to reach out to me if you have any questions about anything. And so thank you, man, for having me on here. Hey, thank you so much for sharing your insights and, uh, and, and your advice. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, would you like to sign us off? Uh, sure. So go the sign off, <laughs> go for it. No, if you've got your own, if you've got your own, do it, go for it. Okay. So my sign off that I tell all my students is go forth and inspire. <laughs>